Undercutter Productions presents. Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews always resort. And in secret have I said nothing. John 18.20 Freemasonry is the best kept secret in the Christian town. Even Freemasons themselves, the large majority, are ignorant of Freemasonic teachings. So when you're approaching a Mason, when you're approaching the issue of Freemasonry, you're going to be dealing with the problem of ignorance. He goes, I'm telling you, this is spiritual. He goes, they're good Christian people. Guy was uh, 68 years old. He's an elder in their church, not Greg's church, another church. His wife loves God. They're just good, godly people. I said, what's the problem with them? He goes, man, he's, he's a hunter. He's a big, big, strong, six-foot, whatever, two guy. He said he's having like up to uh, 20 seizures a day. And, and they, got, they got these things, Michael. They got these things attached to him now that are supposed to let him know before the seizure comes up, and then he can kind of do, I don't know what he was doing, to try to manage it so he didn't. But they can't really find the source of the problem. But he goes, hey, I told him you were in town, and if you had time, I said, good, okay, give me the address, we'll, we'll run over there. I said, I just felt like I was supposed to go. I don't usually do house calls, but I'm supposed to go. So I go to this guy's house, we're praying the whole way there. I get in front of his house, no, it's his, and I turn off the car, and I just pray. I'm telling you, before you do anything, pray. Before you, don't just think you're going to go in there because you're carrying it. That, that can happen. But man, isn't it better to hear from God before you go into a place that you really don't know what's going on? Because God already knows what's supposed to happen. And I, I've, I learned now, actually now I kind of do it different. Not only do I pray to hear God, I'm already thanking him for what's going to happen when I go in there. While I was in the car, I said, amen. And the Holy Spirit that fast said, it's Freemasonry. I went, well, thank you. Because I didn't say that. I know it wasn't the devil. <laughs> But I knew it was God, so I go in there, and I'm, I'm just thinking, Freemasons, Freemasons, and I'm looking at this guy, and I said, so, you know, we had, sat and had a talk, and I said, I, I don't have that much time, so I'm going to cut to the chase. I said, can your wife sit here? So she said, I said, listen, I'm going to tell you something. I'm in, your, I'm in your driveway, and the Holy Spirit told me, so I, I got to go here. You got Freemasons is your problem. And he looked at me, and looked at his wife, and he looked at me. He goes, you're going to say that all this is because I'm a Freemason. I go, I didn't know you were one. He goes, well, I am one. And I went, well, you don't need to be one. <laughs> but you already is one. We got to break off that which is making you unhappy. These are the words of men who joined the fraternity of Freemasonry. So I'm off to a meeting and the stuff inside of this envelope. That is some memory work that I have to do. It's the memory work of an entered apprentice Mason. Man, most of the stuff you'll ever see on the internet is just not true. Now, I'm just an apprentice, uh, entered apprentice, so that's the first degree, and there's a second, and then the third degree, and you're Master Mason, so obviously I have a lot to learn, but... This is one of the few fraternities in the world that has been going on for this length of time, and it's not collapsed or changed. Keeps us together by doing the same things my forefathers did. So obviously I have a lot to learn, but... I think that the Masonic rituals help us keep a focus on what truth is. Masons meet upon the level and act upon the square. When you meet somebody on the level, you're on the same plane as they are. So obviously I have a lot to learn, but... It does not matter what you call that supreme being, just that you believe. So obviously I have a lot to learn, but... It's just an incredible feeling, you know, to have people you've never even met before treat you like a brother.
When you make the commitment to becoming a Mason, you are likely to find your life changing in ways you might never have expected. So obviously I have a lot to learn, but have a lot to learn, 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 have a lot to learn. These are the words of men who left the fraternity of Freemasonry. So pretty much I shared my testimony with most of you. Somehow I got uh, into researching conspiracy theories. I really got into researching. I, I got into spirituality. I got into new age stuff. I was agnostic. So I decided to really dig deep. And like I finished my studies, I came back to India and I joined Freemasonry after that. I was a third degree master mason. So it was like after these two years I was into Freemasonry, God spoke to me. And this man gave me a, he said, oh Paul, I really feel led to give you this um, CD, and, uh, or two CDs, and it both on testimonies of Freemasons that had such a, a godly experience that called them out of Freemasonry. And, but they talked about the demonic as well, and what they were involved with, and I thought, what on earth am I involved with here? After all this time, I still didn't know that I was in witchcraft. Well, my career in law enforcement, I actually joined the Brotherhood of Freemasons. Uh, yeah, how'd you Lodge. get into that? How'd you get into that? Man, you know, a lot of cops are involved with that. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it is, it's, uh, it's a thing that, I'm not saying you must do, but 95% of them do. You know what I mean? Uh, now, what's the benefit out of it? Like, what, what's, what's the main purpose? Actually, 95 for me, if you're going to ask me the question, I think it was more like biblical history. Oh, okay. Uh, what intrigued me the most was they, you know, they talked about King Solomon's temple and mm -hmm. the Holy of Holies, and I've always been intrigued by it. So this actually exists? Yes, it does. It's your cult. It's not going to be messing with. Okay. I'm going to tell you straight up. Man, most of the stuff you'll ever see on the internet is just not true. Now, I'm just entered apprentice, so... I think that the Masonic rituals help us keep a focus on what truth is. So obviously I have a lot to learn. It's your cult. It's not going to be messing with. I'm going to tell you straight up. Van Buren City Cemetery, where on one side many of the town's citizens are laid to rest. But there is another side to the cemetery, populated by men who supposedly had acquired secret knowledge through ancient rituals and ceremonies. For many in the lower levels, it's nothing more than fun mixed with charity. For those who reach the upper echelon, The insidious truth is revealed to them. We'll never know if these men, during their final moments, ask Jesus to be forgiven of their unholy covenant. Unholy covenant, you ask? As the Masonic scholar Albert Pike wrote in Morals and Dogma, doubt it not. For the wives of these men who took part in their own similar initiation ritual, the likelihood of eternal separation from their husbands is high. If they truly believed in Jesus, they will be spared damnation because they were doing as their husbands instructed them to do. But until they reach their eternal reward in heaven, their earthly reward will be fear and infirmity, mistrust and calamity.
the purpose of this documentary is not to persuade you to consider both sides of a particular issue. On this matter, there can be only one side, the right side, the side of Christ. Matthew 6.24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon, the greedy pursuit of gain. Yet isn't that exactly what every single person here pursued? Personal gain? Status? I guess I was probably 13 years old and I was riding my bike through this very town where I grew up in Van Buren, Missouri. And that was when I noticed the building on the edge of the river. And on the sign outside the building was one symbol that I had seen elsewhere but really didn't know what it meant. The familiar square and compass symbol with the letter G in the middle. But there was a symbol on the other side of the sign that I was quite familiar with. And it was a pentagram. And this was about the time when I had sort of turned my back on Christianity and the faith because I was 13. Thought I had figured it all out. But I still essentially knew what good and evil was and I knew what a pentagram was. And I went home and I asked my mom, I said, what's up with the building there in town? It's got the pentagram on the sign. She says, oh, you need to read this. And it was this book, Masonry, Beyond the Light, by William Schnevelin. For the past 26 years, I've been a stand-up comedian, a radio personality, and a newspaper columnist. Yet, for some reason, people have always wanted me to evangelize. I'm Richard Kaysen. And this is The Dark Light. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Ephesians 5.11 There have been many and still are many secret societies, 
groups whose everyday goal is to separate and place themselves in a higher social structure that caters to and favors them. Groups like the Odd Fellows, Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, the Rosicrucian Order, Bohemian Grove, Skull and Bones, the Ancient Order of Druids, organizations that insist on secrecy due to the retention and transmission of certain knowledge, or possibly the denial of membership or knowledge of the group, a creation of personal and civil bonds, and the use of secret rites or rituals to initiate members. Yet in practically every municipality in North America, you've seen their emblem. You know the one. The square and the compass with the letter G in the middle. Maybe another logo that you'd expect to see on some Swedish death metal band's album cover. And these symbols are attached to signs with buildings that are named Barnesville Lodge, number 353, Princess Anne Lodge, number 25, or Federal Lodge, number 1. According to Alan Axelrod, the author of the International Encyclopedia of Secret Societies and Fraternal Orders, a secret society is defined as an organization that is exclusive, claims to its own special secrets, and shows a strong inclination to favor its members. David B. Barrett, the author of Secret Societies, From Ancient and Arcane to the Modern and Clandestine, says, A further characteristic to most of these is the practice of rituals which non-members are not permitted to know or even know the existence of. To many, the Masons are just another civic group, like the Rotary Club or your local chamber of commerce. But to anyone who knows the Bible and a little bit of history, including that of Satan, something sinister and patently unholy, far beyond what you ever thought possible, is occurring virtually everywhere. For you watching right now, some of the people that you know, people that you love, have entered into a covenant, a contract just as binding as any wedding or baptism, but in completely the wrong direction. Many Christian denominations forbid their members from joining the Freemasons, including the Catholic Church, but also Protestant faiths as well. For example, paragraph 41 of the general rules contained in the discipline of the Allegheny Wesleyan Methodist Connection teaches, Further, by abstaining from membership in secret societies, we will on no account tolerate our ministers and members joining or holding fellowship with secret societies, as in the judgment of the Allegheny Wesleyan Methodist Connection, it is inconsistent with our duties to God to hold such relations. Matthew chapter 24 verse 27 says, Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers. Believe it not. The book of James chapter 5 verse 12 says, But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath. Let your yea be yea, and your nay, nay lest ye fall into condemnation. The official position of the Southern Baptist Convention is that Freemasonry is incompatible with Christianity, but they do not ban their members 
from joining such groups. And I know well-known national Baptist preachers, when asked about this, were, were, would tell their congregations it's a matter of personal conscience. Really? Well, they don't want you to smoke, and they don't want you to chew tobacco, and God forbid you have a little wine with your dinner. They'll come unglued, some of these Southern Baptists. But it's a matter of conscience if you belong to a theological cult. The same groups who take credit for the building of Noah's Ark, the Tower of Babel, and the pyramids, and Solomon's Temple. Many a Southern Baptist pastor who has taken this head on has lost their job. Through the ages, the Freemasons have borrowed quite liberally bits of mythology from the Druids, Egyptian priesthood, and other ancient pagan mystery religions. William Schneblin is an ex-Wiccan priest, an ex-Black magician, an ex-Rosicrucian, an ex-Mormon, an ex-Shriner, and an ex-33rd degree Freemason. And he's the author of the book that my mother directed me to so many years ago. Deeply involved in the occult. Now, I came to Masonry a lot differently than most people did. I came to Masonry already understanding its dangers. Was, um, initiated as an entered apprentice in 1975. I was uh, passed to the degree of fellow craft, I believe that same year. And in 1976, I was raised to the sublime degree of a master mason. Along the way, a lady who was the bank officer at a bank, I'd been sending checks to the Church of Satan over the years. And one of these checks came back to me and she'd, been, she'd written on the check, I'll be praying for you in the name of Jesus. So here I was, I was being prayed for, didn't really care, didn't really know. And along the way, what had happened was I, I decided I joined the Mormon church for, again, reasons that are a little too complicated to go into. So as a Mormon, I got this little ad in the newspaper for a prophecy seminar. So what happened was I thought I'd go to that seminar and see if I could draw some people into the Mormon church because after all, we had a living prophet, we had the full light of the gospel and all of that. Well, for the first time in my life, in that prophecy seminar, I was exposed to gospel-based preaching. And I had all these questions to ask this evangelist that was doing the thing, and he had a Bible answer just like that for every single one of them. You know, I went home that night and I was so scared I couldn't believe it, because he got it through to me that all I had to do was believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and be saved, Acts 16.31. And I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Amen. That was 1984. Now, about a week later, I was still going to the lodge through all this. I had gotten an invitation from this new lodge that I was about to join to go to a, what they call a high noon luncheon. And so I went to this luncheon. And as I, this is the first time I'd ever been in a Masonic Lodge since getting born again. And I walked into the building and already it felt clammy and awful and evil. And I went down to the basin, which is where the luncheon was, and it got worse. And I felt more and more oppressed and heavier and heavier. And, and I felt the Holy Spirit speaking to me and saying, get out of here, get out of here. So I got out into the sunshine again. It was like, ugh. I felt like I'd escaped from some profound spiritual trap. Well, later on, the Lord beginning to sh began to show me things about how this was really very dangerous, spiritually. The occult is not going to be messing with. Okay, I'm going to tell you straight up. After all this time, I still didn't know that I was in witchcraft. So obviously I have a lot to learn. Masons claim that their first, their first Mason was in fact Nimrod. 
you know, if I was a Mason, I would not brag about the first Mason being Nimrod. But as that most people us understand, he's the person that helped build the Tower of Babel, and it is from Nimrod that basically all false religions stem. After that, we see the Egyptian mysteries of Isis and Osiris. And then we have King Solomon and the building of his temple. And there's a character in there that's going to be very important later called Hiram the widow's son. Then in Greece, we have the rites of Eleusis. Now that was the, the mystery religion, the predominant mystery religion in the days of Greece. On the other hand, if you were in a mystery religion, that would only be open to initiates. And beyond that, there was a group called the Dionysian Artificers. Now, Artificer is just a fancy name for builders. And these folks were, were, were architects and masons who worshiped the god Dionysus, who is the Greek god of wine and orgies. Then we have the Kabbalah, which came around about the 5th century BC. It's Jewish mysticism. And then we have Gnosticism, which is Grecian mysticism. And all of these things all contributed to the, what today we have in modern day masonry. Then during the medieval period, we have a different group that came along around the year 1000 called the Hashishim. The world's first real modern day cult, relatively speaking, and secret society. The name is both where we get the word Hashish and also where we get the word for assassin. If you look carefully, you can see the word assassin in there. Then after that, along came the Knights Templar. Now the Knights Templar were a Catholic order of knighthood. They went over to the Holy Land, and of course the Hashishim were over there in the Middle East, and so they kind of swapped initiations and, and information and all that. About the same time, that same information got into the Stonemasons Guild. And that's why today, if you look at the great cathedrals of Europe, you will see that many of those cathedrals have pagan symbols on them, even though they were built by the Roman Catholic Church. And that's because the stonemasons who built those cathedrals were actually concealing Masonic mysteries in all of those gargoyles and caryatids and demons and unicorns and everything that you see all over those cathedrals. Then finally we have the Brothers of the Rosy Cross, also known today as the Rosicrucians. They were the inheritors of the secrets of the rites of the Templars. And what's interesting is the first recorded printed use of the word Mason in the history of the English language involves the Rosicrucians. It's, it's from a poem called Muses Threnody, which is written by a guy named Anderson. And this is the passage. It says, For we be brethren of the rosy cross, and we have the Mason word and second sight. Most of you probably know, but the word second sight refers to psychic ability, or ESP, or paranormal power. And the Mason word is the secret lost word of Masonry. So right up front, we see the Masons from the very first are associated with occultism and with the Rosicrucians. And yes, by the way, I was a Rosicrucian. I got up to the ninth degree in the Rosicrucian order. Now here is Jared, last name unknown, a recently initiated Master Mason. Listen closely to what this third degree Master Mason is about to say. You've heard tell that there's some kind of an oath or an obligation that Freemasons have to take, and you're wondering, what is that, and is it something I am actually going to be comfortable with? That obligation is one of the mysteries of Freemasonry. It is secret, and it is not something that I am going to share with you. All throughout this process, everything has been your decision. You had to decide that you were even interested in Freemasonry in the first place. 
you had to decide that you were interested enough to actually get a petition and to fill it out. You had to decide to actually meet with some brothers who were investigating your character and learning more about you. You had to agree on a date on when your degree was going to take place and heck you could have simply not shown up for your own degree but you showed up. So up to this point everything has been a part of uh, it's been your choice but now things have changed slightly because we have started your initiation. You were brought into the lodge room and you attended lodge prayer. Uh, in fact the prayer was specifically requested for you so that the deity could bless you. And so now that you've experienced a few things in the lodge room and you have a better understanding for what's actually taking place, you are again explained a few things about what Freemasonry is and what the obligation is about and given another opportunity to decide that this isn't for me. So what is the wording that's involved? Well, Freemasonry, an institution founded upon the purest principles of morality and virtue, possessing great and inestimable privileges. Great and inestimable privileges. To secure these privileges to worthy men and worthy men alone, voluntary pledges of fidelity are required. The word voluntary, it is totally your choice. You are still, to this point, not a Mason. You don't owe us anything, we don't owe you anything, and you could simply decide, no, I'm not comfortable with that, and decide to walk away. You know, there's oaths that are involved, uh, and if you're not comfortable with taking an oath or having an obligation upon yourself, well then this is your opportunity to decide to back out and say thank you, but no thank you. The other thing that we learn here is that it is a voluntary pledge of fidelity. Well, obviously, the uh, pledge that you're about to take, the obligation or the oath, is going to be involving your fidelity, your ability to be true and to keep secrets. Now the details that are involved around that are something that are part of the mysteries of Freemasonry and if you want to learn what they are head to your local lodge and fill out a petition. <laughs> Interesting huh? Now here's what Jared isn't telling you. Each prospective entered apprentice candidate is instructed kneeling on my naked left knee, my right forming a square, my left supporting the Holy Bible square encompasses, my right resting thereon yourself, the solemn oath of an entered apprentice mason, and if you have no objection still, you will say I. The so-called worshipful master gives one rap with his gavel which is the signal for all present to assemble around the altar. And then the obligation of your own free will and accord in the presence of Almighty God in this worshipful lodge erected to Him, most solemnly and sincerely promise and swear that I will always hail, ever conceal, and ever reveal any of the arts, parts, or points of the hidden mysteries of ancient Freemasonry. All this I most solemnly, sincerely promise and swear with a firm and steadfast resolution to perform the same without any mental reservation or secret evasion of mind whatsoever, binding myself under no less penalty than that of having my throat cut across, my tongue torn out by its roots, 
and my body buried in the rough sands of the sea at low water mark where the tide ebbs and flows twice in 24 hours, should I ever knowingly violate this entered apprentice obligation. And then they swear, so help me God. Think of that. So help me God. Masonic ceremonies are nearly identical to Wiccan ceremonies, including the initiation, stripped, blindfolded with a noose around the initiate's neck, and in both ceremonies, a knife or a sword, or in the case of Freemasonry, the point of a compass is pushed up against the breast, and a blood oath is made never to tell the secrets of the covenant or the lodge. Before we go any further, there's a central thing in Masonry that you all have to understand or else you're going to get confused later, and that is the oaths. Masonry requires its people to swear oaths. Now, what's the problem with these oaths? Well, first of all, there's the whole thing of a pig in the poke. And you're asked to buy something and you don't know what it is. Like, say, for example, if I came up to you and I said to you, okay, I got this great car, I want $15,000 for it, but it's locked in the garage and you can't see it. I mean, you'd want to see the car. But yet in masonry, you are asked to swear an oath and you don't know what that oath is. Now, the details that are involved around that are something that are part of the mysteries of Freemasonry. Now, this master... He comes up to the guy and he says, you're going to swear an oath. It's my pleasant duty to inform you that there is absolutely nothing in this oath that will conflict with your duty to God, your country, your neighbor, or yourself. First of all, that's a bald-faced lie. There's a lot of stuff in that oath that conflicts with those things. But of course, the guy doesn't know it. Now, on top of that, this guy is kneeling blindfolded. He doesn't know what's around him. For all he knows, there might be 25 wackos in black robes with daggers mm -hmm. went in to pounce on him or something because the Masons try and scare the guy. I mean, think kind of like fraternities or initiation ceremonies, you know. They try to get the guy nervous and everything, so he doesn't really know what's going on. So basically, he says, okay, I'll go along with it. You've, you've sworn an oath that you'll have your throat cut your tongue torn out by its roots, and then you swear, swear it by saying, so help me God, and you kiss the Bible. Then the second degree oath, you swear that you will have your heart plucked out of your body and placed on the highest pinnacle of the temple, there to be devoured by the vultures of the air. The third degree oath, you swear that you would have your body severed in twain, your bowels taken thence, and burned to ashes, the ashes scattered to the four winds of heaven, that no more remembrance should be had of so vile a wretch as I should be to have thus knowingly violated my master mason obligation, so help me God and keep me steadfast, blah, blah, blah. Again, very, very serious. Now, for example, here's an even better one. In the uh, degree, the seventh degree of the York Rite, you swear that you would have your, your skull, the top of your skull smote off and your brain exposed to the rays of the noonday sun. I mean, these are nasty things. Now, can you imagine your pastor swearing these oaths? Can you imagine your husband swearing these oaths? Can you imagine your deacons swearing these oaths? But countless of them do every single day. This is very common in Christian churches. Once you've said all this horrible, bloodthirsty oath, the master comes down and he says, My brother, in your current situation, what do you most desire? So Masons are looking for light. The master says to all the Masons, he says, My brethren, stretch forth your hands and assist me in bringing our newfound brother to light. And then what happens is he says, he starts reading from Genesis. And he goes, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And he gets to the place where it says, 
and God said, let there be light. And everybody claps their hands, and the blindfold is taken off the guy's eyes, and what he sees, he sees the three great lights of masonry, the Holy Bible, square and compasses, illuminated by the three lesser lights, which are three burning tapers. And he's supposed to be enlightened by this awesome sight. Now, it wasn't real enlightening for me, but maybe I was a tough sell. I don't know. So here's an interesting account. Recently, I asked my brother if he knew anything about Freemasonry, and he said he did overhear a conversation. That conversation consisted of a Freemason not actively recruiting this mutual friend of ours, but encouraging him that it's something he should look into. As he explained to our friend, we have our own rules. We do what we want. But if you go against us, we'll give you a new necktie. I'd love to hear the explanation of how taking an oath to uphold such a horrendous act doesn't reap spiritual damage on your family for generations. Any Christian should take issue with any of this because Freemasonry is indeed a religion. Temples, altars, a moral code, vestments, feast days, a hierarchy of leadership, burial rites, promises of eternal reward or punishment. Not only is that a religion, that's idolatry, a cult. The oath is wrong because of to whom and to what the candidate is swearing. By the 30th degree, the lodge has named you a Knight Kadash. Kadash, Hebrew meaning the Holy One. Jesus is truly the only Holy One. The candidate vows to overthrow superstition, fanaticism, and imposture, qualities that Freemasons try to impose onto Christianity. By the 30th degree, they've elevated you to a holy status equal with that of Jesus. In the 31st degree, you play the part of William of Shrewsbury, who is on trial, and he is judged by no less than King Alfred of Saxon England, the philosopher Socrates, Moses, Confucius, the ancient Iranian sun god, Zoroaster, and the reason they pay Jesus very little respect is quite simple, because Freemasonry is a universal religion. They believe, just as the Gnostics, that there is secret knowledge that only they know, and that all roads lead to God. But Jesus said that he is the way. And they teach you that you will be reincarnated. In the 32nd degree, you learn of another false Masonic deity, Om, and its parts, Brahma the Creator, Vishnu the Preserver, and Shiva the Destroyer. This is Hinduism, not Christianity. Again, trying to create a universal religion to try to demonstrate that all roads lead to God. Who is the God of Freemasonry? Have you not figured it out already? If you reach the 33rd degree, you learn the ultimate Masonic truth that in their eyes, Lucifer is in fact the universal fatherhood of God after you drink wine from a human skull. What almost nobody who enters into these covenants and these bonds understand is that these rituals affect not just the initiates, but the families of the initiates for generations. For example, choking or 
breathing problems that run in a family? Could it be because a male ancestor took an oath with a noose around his neck? By the third degree, the candidate is symbolically beaten to death and then symbolically buried, which does nothing but invite the spirit of death, but with the grip of a lion's paw, your brothers pull you from your symbolic grave, further mocking the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All the rituals, all the symbols are simply modified pagan ceremonies that hide behind Christianity and they have nothing to do with Jesus. The Freemasons look you dead in the eye and lie to you. They are a neo-pagan cult that goes against every tenet of Christianity and does nothing but destroy relationships, marriages, and families. When you take the third degree oath of a Master Mason, one of the codicils in that oath says that you will warn a brother Master Mason of approaching danger so that he can get out of the way. Now let's say you're in the prosecuting attorney's office, or let's say you're a police officer, and you learn that a brother Master Mason is going to have a warrant served on him for his arrest. You're obligated by an oath to go and warn that Mason so he can skip town before he's thrown in the clink that you swear that you will keep the secrets of a master mason inviolate within your heart murder and treason accepted that means any crime except murder and treason you are obligated by that blood oath to cover if he's a rapist if he's a child molester if he's a thief if he's an arsonist any of that stuff you have to conceal that you are not allowed to talk about that and that's true even if you're an officer of the court now it gets even worse. Let's say you're a seventh degree Royal Archmason in New York Rite. Then the oath is that you have to keep the secrets of a Royal Arch Companion inviolate within your heart, murder and treason not accepted. In other words, you've got to keep everything secret. That guy could be an axe murderer. Sylvie Sidath of Righteous Axe Ministries in Virginia tells this story. She was ministering to a young woman who felt as though curses were on her family coming directly from her father. And Sylvie's husband had received a list of prayers of release from Freemasonry, and he thought they were rather bizarre, so he filed them away in his desk, didn't think much more about them. Counseling this girl, it was revealed that her father was a grand something or other in a Masonic lodge who did molest her as a child. And before each time he did, he would say some sort of weird prayer or chant over her. And because of that torment of having to live with it for all those years, she was willing to try anything. And so Sylvie and her husband prayed specifically that the girl be set free from the spiritual bondage of Freemasonry that was strapped onto their family by whatever male ancestor first crossed that line. And they were amazed and pleasantly surprised by the results. The girl was free. The patterns of people with Masonic ancestry are as distinct as they are disturbing, almost without exception. Women whose parents or grandparents who had been involved in Freemasonry had been molested as children, not necessarily by a family member in all cases, but in many. The thing you have to remember about Freemasonry is this fundamental fact. They are instructed to lie to you. Do not believe them. Freemasonry is a false religion, a cult, 
mixing the holy and the profane, inviting spirits of error or perversion. Once you open that ominous door into the unknown, Satan has been given spiritual authority over you and your children. Breathing problems, lung problems, asthma, allergies, rape, molestation, incest, anger, fear, and anxiety. You will recognize them by their fruits. Those are the fruits of Freemasonry. Albert Pike, considered to be the father of modern Freemasonry, says in his book, Morals and Dogma of Freemasonry, which all higher level degree Masons are given, and then when they die, arrangements have to be made to give that book back to the Lodge. But Pike in that book says, Masonry, like all religion, all the mysteries, conceals its secrets from all except the adepts and the sages or the elect, and use false explanations and misinterpretations of its symbols to mislead those who deserve to be misled. Freemasonry is satanic. It's cultic worship. Albert Pike, one of the authorities of Freemasonry, and many of those other guys, that they do not tell you the truth until you are well up the chain of this occultic secret society. They admit that. So a lot of the people at the lower level are like, well, I'm, I'm, I don't see any of that in there. Well, you haven't gone far enough. This is probably the most honored Mason in American history. Pike was heavily involved in magic and astrology, spent years studying the Kabbalah, which undoubtedly contributed to his depression, anxiety, and so on. Common symptoms that people connected by initiation or blood to the occult experience. Read Albert Pike's material. You will find out that he's an antichrist, that he's a Luciferian, that he mocks Christianity, that he denies the virgin birth, that he denies the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he calls the early Christian fathers dunces. This is all in morals and dogma. It was said of Albert Pike that he was the greatest Masonic philosopher of the Western and English-speaking world. He's the only Confederate general to be buried within the city limits of Washington, D.C., and he's the only Confederate general and KKK member to have a 50-foot statue in his honor within Washington, D.C. city limits. The guy was a racist, a war criminal, Satan worshiper, the most honored Mason in American history. He's also the author of Morals and Dogma. For the initiates, this is not a person, but a force created for good, but which may serve for evil. It is the instrument of liberty or free will. They represent this force, preside over the physical generation, under the mythologic and horned form of the god Pan. Thence came the he-goat of the Sabbath, brother of the ancient serpent, and the light-bearer of Phosphor, of which the poets have made the false Lucifer of the legend. The apocalypse is to those who receive the 19th degree, the apothesis of the sublime faith which aspires to God alone, and despises all the pomps and works of Lucifer. Lucifer, the light-bearer. Strange and mysterious name to give to the spirit of darkness. Lucifer, son of the morning. Is it he who bears the light and with its splendors intolerable blinds feeble, sensual, or selfish souls? Doubt it not. It is wisdom that, in the cabalistic books of the Proverbs and Ecclesiasticus, is the creative agent of God. Elsewhere in the Hebrew writings, it is Deber I Hava, the Word of God. It is by his uttered word that God reveals himself to us, alone in the visible and invisible but intellectual creation, but in our convictions, consciousness, and instincts. Hence it is that certain beliefs are universal. 
The conviction of all men that God is good, led to a belief in a devil, the fallen Lucifer or light bearer, Shaitan the adversary, Ariman and Tufan, as an attempt to explain the existence of evil, and make it consistent with the infinite power, wisdom, and benevolence of God. Then we have Manly P. Hall. Manly P. Hall is more contemporary. He just died about, I think, 1991 or 1992. He has been described as the most honored mason of the 20th century. Manly P. Hall was an occultist. He wrote hundreds of occult books. He was a Rosicrucian. He wrote the monumental masterwork, The Secret Teachings of All Ages and Countries, which is invariably in every Scottish Rite library that I've ever been in. And this guy, again, teaches people how to sell their souls to the devil. One of the books that Manly P. Hall wrote, The Lost Keys of Freemasonry, tells us that once a master mason becomes the warrior on the block, the seething energies of Lucifer are his to command. Now, when Ron Carlson spoke for us on this topic, I stood there watching Ron interact with grown men, one after the other, and I remember particularly three men, they did not know each other, they came to the conference separately. We had probably close to 2,000 people there. They came to the conference separately, but they were waiting in line to talk to Ron. At least two of the three men were in tears as they independently spoke to Ron, one after the other, and thanked him for his presentation and said that they were going to go home and resign from the Freemason Lodge, Freemasonry. That what Ron had presented, they knew to be true. And that when Ron then started bringing out the scripture and, and challenging them with the scripture as to how can you belong to this group, a group where you must put on a blindfold and kneel before the worshipful master, that's an abomination. Ron Carlson used to show up at churches and he would speak on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and normally Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. And he would speak about the New Age movement, cosmic humanism, Islam, Freemasonry, occultism. Every night he'd have a different focus. He was an expert on the cults and on the occult. But Ron would tell stories how the deacons of the Baptist church in the South, I'm not so sure we can have this guy speak. And Ron tells the story of how the pastor said, well, Ron, would you like to respond? And he said, look, why don't you take the literature and go and read it, and if you can refute anything I'm saying, come back to me and let's have a conversation. The next day, those men came back and met with him and the pastor and said that they had gone over it, spent hours into the night going over the literature that quotes the authorities of Freemasonry. And they said, we cannot refute what you have presented from the authorities of Freemasonry. And we, the deacons, those of us that are members of Freemasonry, are resigning our position in the lodge and getting out. Ron tells the story of another church where the pastor was chided for bringing Ron in. And the pastor, after Ron spoke on Freemasonry, got up and said to the church, you have one week to resign from the lodge or get out of this church. You have one week to resign from the lodge or get out of my church. Do you know what happened? Ron tells a story that that church exploded in growth. The men either left or they resigned from the occult of Freemasonry. So here's a point to ponder. What impact does this have on the church? By allowing Masons to be members of your congregation, 
Satan is being served. And he now has a free hand to destroy your church. The seven letters to the churches in the book of Revelation reveal that God will hold the church responsible not only for what it does, but also for what it tolerates. Yet we wonder why we don't see revival. Ron tells the story of another time that he was in a church speaking the truth about Freemasonry. And one of the leaders... And uh, I had been invited to a church where they were having problems with a lot of Masons in the church. The pastor had asked me to come down and... And we had a packed audience, and uh, after I shared, I opened it up for a time of questions. And uh, I'll never forget, a man in the first row uh, stood up, and he turns to the audience. He says, I just want everybody to know that I am the worshipful master of the lodge here in town. And I want you to all know that what this man just said is a lie. He doesn't know what he's talking about, and he is a liar. I'm thinking, oh, my. All of a sudden, I wish I had a video of it, it's the most incredible thing. All of a sudden, a 75-year-old man stands up in the back row of the church. He points down to the fellow standing in the front, and he says, Charlie, you know what this man said is true. He says, I was the worshipful master who initiated into the lodge. You know you went through those ceremonies. Man turned red-faced and literally bolted out of the church. This is a symbol of the 32nd degree of the Scottish Rite, which is the other branch of Masonry. And you notice the motto there, Spes Mea in Deus Est. That means, my hope is in God, and that sounds very pious, doesn't it? But you'll notice this strange eagle. He's got two heads. You don't know whether he's coming or going. And you'll notice this little top knot up here. Notice those little top knots on the two eagle. Then look at that eagle. What's the deal with the eagle? Well, we know it's a noble bird, but how many of you realize that for years when this, when this seal was first being uh, created, Benjamin Franklin lobbied for it being a phoenix instead of an eagle. He wanted this bird to be a phoenix. The phoenix is an occult mythological bird that goes back to ancient Egypt, and it was called the Bennu bird. And the way it, the way it what was distinctive about this bird is that every so often it would immolate itself. It would set itself on fire and be reduced to ashes. And then from the ashes it would spring, reborn, as a new, entirely new bird. And of course this was a symbol of death and resurrection, which is the core of the mysteries of masonry. Now I want to show you something. Remember I taught, told you to pay attention to that top knot on the top of the eagles on the Scottish Rite symbol? Well, if you look at this very carefully on, on, let me see, it would be your, it would be this bird here. This is the way Franklin wanted the eagle to look. Now, this is the way the eagle actually looks. You'll notice that this eagle has a little top knot that is not really characteristic of the normal bird. Now, what I'm going to show you next is a Egyptian hieroglyph of the phoenix in human form. Notice what he's got on his head, a little top knot. This is again another indication of the occult level to which the seal sinks in terms of its symbolism. I'm pure and virtuous and wholesome and innocent. How can you say anything about it about me? Sir, you need to be born again. Is I that, am born again. Did you just say that you are Lucifer? I am Lucifer. Okay, define Lucifer for me. Pure, virtuous, wholesome, innocent individual that's out to help people. Virtuous. Virtuous. Now, is he the Lucifer that God created? 
That's the same one. Oh man, this is great. I'm going to put this on the internet. Oh, Amen. God bless you, Amen. brother. Because that's exactly what the Shriners and Masons teach: is that Lucifer, Lucifer is light. No. And you're, hey, what you're about confirming those hospitals? it. And they know how to treat children um, emotionally and and mentally as well as physically. A Westfield man charged with child sex abuse. Gardner Whitney Jr. was not only an employee at Suffield Middle School, but he's the former head of the Melha Shriners in Springfield. This is a picture from the Melha newsletter when Whitney, when he became potentate in 2011. The 61-year-old Whitney is also an employee at Suffield Middle School, according to the Hamden County District Attorney's Office. Suffield Public School Superintendent Karen Baldwin has yet to call 22 News back after receiving multiple messages over the course of two days, so it's unclear what position Whitney held at that school and if he had any unsupervised contact with children. This is me as a Shriner. That was taken about 1980. Then there's the case of the woman who was married to a Shriner. And he was a member of a very elite Shrine organization called the Jesters. Now, if you know anybody who's a Jester, be afraid. <laughs> These are very creepy people. And what would happen in this particular woman's case, and I know it's not isolated because of some of the documents I have seen, every Friday night they would have poker and he would tie his wife up on the bed and all the other jesters would rape her. And, and there was nothing she could do about it. She went to the local uh, police chief and he was a Shriner. She went to the district attorney and he was a Shriner. And finally, she was about to go higher than that and a psychiatrist came to her and said, if you say one more word, we're going to have you locked up as a paranoid delusional because I'm also a Mason. And you'll be locked up forever on my signature and you'll never get out. She ended up having to flee the state. This is a symbol of the mystic shrine. And you'll notice here several important things. First of all, this is the scimitar, or the distinctive sword of Islam. Now the scimitar is a very sharp blade that's basically used to behead infidels. Today, instead of using scimitars, they tend to blow people up a lot. But it's the same idea. It's called jihad, holy war. And if you die in the service of Allah, you will go straight to paradise. Now, the moon is because Allah is a moon god. How many of you knew that? Allah is not the supreme father god that we think he is. He is not the same as the god of the Bible, which everybody wants you to think. No, no, no. Allah is a rock. Allah is a rock and is a moon god. And, of course, this is the star of the goddess. So you have the moon god and the star goddess. What could be simpler? Now, you'll see more, more quickly here, or more readily, the rest of the symbol on this one, this is the infamous Fez, which is the sign of a Shriner. And you notice here, you can see a little better that this is actually a little Egyptian head, like of an Egyptian king, and that's supposed to be the pagan god Osiris. And of course, if you know your Bible, you'll understand how well God feels about the Egyptians. Egypt in, in the Bible, the Old Testament, is a symbol of carnality and depravity. In the 7th century, Muhammad ordered the destruction of all infidels, including all Christians. As the Muslim warriors swept across North Africa, they came to a town in Morocco called Fez, a Christian stronghold, and they killed everyone in town, dipping their hats in the blood of the Christian martyrs. They wore these blood-red hats as a celebration of their victory and a warning to Christians to convert to Islam or die. Ever driven by a Shriner's Temple? 
nothing more than an Islamic mosque. Even some ordinary Masonic lodges resemble an Egyptian tomb or temple. What is the cause of this clamorous alarm? Who dares intrude upon the ceremonies of our mystic shrine? Sons of the desert who are weary of the hot sands and burning sun of the plains humbly crave shelter under the protecting dome of the temple. How may we know them to be worthy and not of treacherous or ignoble birth? Their characters having been canvassed and coming within the bounds of good report, they have passed the ordeal of the secret ballot of our mystic shrine unsullied, and I espouse their cause and sanction their reception with the secret past. Tis well. Let them enter. All rise. What strange intruders have we here? Our pleasures were most perfect and should be sacred from this turmoil and display. Illustrious potentate, tis I who have ushered in poor sons of the desert, who being weary of the hot sands and burning sun of the plains, humbly crave that sacred boon of the weary and thirsty traveler a cup of water and shelter under the protecting dome of our godly temple. I do commend them to your favor, having found them worthy and not of treacherous or ignoble purpose, each having passed the ordeal of the secret ballot of our mystic shrine unsullied and vouched for by a noble with our secret pass. Noble guide, know you the penalty of broken faith and do you stand forth as ransom for them all? Illustrious potentate, I do. So be it then. Conduct them once again about our shrine to our noble high priest, that he may imprint upon the tablets of their memories a knowledge of the duties they do here as soon. Strangers, are your motives for coming among us honorable, pure, and free from hope of gain or pride of knowledge? Are you willing to jeopardize your life, if need be, to punish the guilty and protect the innocent and labor in the cause of justice, truth, and common humanity? Are you willing to jeopardize your life? Have you still a desire to unite with us in the inseparable bonds of the mystic shrine for the purposes to which you have ascended? If you have answered in sincerity and in truth these replies, I can assure you that no conflicting sentiment nor requirement here will mar your principles nor your duties in the outside world, be they what they may. That's a bald-faced lie. There's a lot of stuff in that oath that conflicts with those things. Our alliance, it is as ancient as the cornerstone of Muhammad's temple at Mecca, as secret as the Muslim vow that bound the tribes of Arabia to Allah or their God. We require absolute secrecy and desire. All are to hold an interest in our noble cause and a just observance of the tenets of our faith. By the existence of Allah, and the creed of Muhammad. By the legendary sanctity of our tabernacle at Mecca, we greet you and in commemoration of the Arabs' faith in purity and innocence, we accept your answers as sincere and you will now be permitted to proceed. Who is he who hath professed to have conversed in person with the Supreme and maketh himself mightiest of the mightiest of the mighty? Muhammad the prophet of the Arabs' creed. Repeat after me, I of my voluntary desire, uninfluenced and of free accord, do here assume without reserve the obligation of the nobility of the mystic shrine, as did the elect of the temple at Mecca, the Muslim and the Mohammedan. 
I do hereby upon this Bible and on the mysterious legend of the Quran and its dedication to the Mohammedan faith promise and swear and vow on the faith and honor of an upright man that I will never reveal any secret part or portion whatsoever of the ceremonies I have already received that are about to be communicated to me or that I may hereafter be instructed in to any person in the world except it be to a well-known member of the order of the nobles of the mystic shrine. And upon this sacred book, by the sincerity of a Muslim's oath, I here register this irrevocable vow, in willful violation whereof may I incur the fearful penalty of having my eyeballs pierced to the center with a three-edged blade, my feet flayed, and I be forced to walk the hot sands upon the sterile shores of the Red Sea until the flaming sun shall strike me with livid plague. And may Allah, the God of Arab, Muslim, and Muhammad, and the God of our fathers, support me to the entire fulfillment of the same. Amen, amen, amen. So, you're a Christian and you don't know that. Actually... No, I really am. You are. Because so, I'm pure and virtuous. You're pure and virtuous, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In other words, you're perfect without Jesus, right? No, 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 no. Okay, tell me about Jesus. Who is Jesus? Oh. But he's he's my leader. Is he the son of God? Yes, he is. Is he the only worshipful master? Yes. Have you ever been called worshipful master? No, because I, I've just been too busy. I've been working. Working. Been working to help people. What like kind you. of work? Okay. Get out of here. <clears throat> See, this is what a Mason confesses: is that Lucifer is light. This is the signet of the Order of the Eastern Star. This is the official seal of the Church of Satan. Gee, uh, does that look similar somehow? Or is that just a coincidence, maybe? Believe it or not, you notice these colors? Well, these colors are perfect according to black magic. They go with the correspondences of the black magic pentagram that, for example, you will see in the Order of the Golden Dawn in the color plate there. This is, this is Earth air, fire, and water. Now this fifth point, which is white, is the Akasha. And that's like the astral stuff of ectoplasm and the dream realm and all of that. As if that ain't bad enough. Guess what, folks? The eastern star is not the star of Bethlehem. They say, oh, but our model, we've seen this star in the east and are come to worship him. Well, here's the problem. The Magi were not looking east to see a star. They were already in the east seeing the star which was west. Think about it. If they were, say, in Persia or India and they were looking at Bethlehem, they would be looking what direction? West. The star was in the west. It was the western star, not the eastern star. You know what the eastern star actually means? It is a Masonic and occultic code word for the star Sirius, the dog star, which is the most cursed star in the Egyptian sky. It is the star of Set, it's the star of Satan. And this is the star that they're praying around in the order of the Eastern Star. Additionally, the five star points were ruled over by pagan goddesses, not by biblical characters.
worthy matron, I find in waiting one who is desirous of being initiated into our order. Secretary, has this candidate been elected to receive the degrees of the order? She has. Sister Associate Conductress, you will retire and prepare the candidate for the ceremony of initiation. My friend, you are doubtless a seeker after light, or you would not have applied for membership in an organization which has for its inspiration the star in the East. You, like the three wise men, have been led by that light. Life is a labyrinth through which we would wander blindly were it not for an all-seeing eye that watches over us and an all-powerful hand that guides us on our way. Before I can guide you to the chapter room, you must give me a brief and truthful answer to the following question, do you believe in the existence of a supreme being? I do. With this assurance, I welcome you and we may safely ask to be admitted. Worthy matron, the alarm was caused by the associate conductress with a candidate who desires to receive the degrees of our order. Is the candidate properly prepared? She is. You will admit them. It is the order of the worthy matron that you be admitted to our chapter. You came here of your own free choice. Complain not, therefore, at any trial. A seal is here set upon your lips. Woe unto those who seek to take upon themselves burdens which they cannot bear. Sister Conductress, you will cause the candidate to face the East. Worthy matron, I have the honor to present whose petition has been approved by this chapter and who now desires to be initiated into our order. It is with pleasure that I welcome you into this chapter. Your relationship to members of the Masonic Fraternity and the recommendations presented in your behalf assure us that you merit the honor we confer and are worthy of the important trust with which we are about to invest you. Here we comfort and protect each other in our journey through the labyrinth of human life and, by means of secret signs and other work of the Order, we are able to make ourselves known to each other wherever we may meet. We are governed by the laws and regulations of the Grand Chapter and by a code of bylaws framed by ourselves, and in this obedience we shall expect you to share. Worthy patron, it is with pleasure that I introduce to you this candidate, who is prepared to assume the obligation of the Order. The obligation you are about to take is a solemn pledge which you must give to this chapter before you can participate in the privileges of our Order. By it you bind yourself to the most solemn secrecy respecting the work of the Order and to the performance of those acts of kindness and forbearance, which are essential to our welfare and prosperity. With this knowledge of its requirements, are you willing to proceed? I am. Sister Conductress, you will cause the candidate to be in proper position at the altar to receive the obligation. I pledge the sacred honor of a woman, to the faithful performance of the conditions of the following obligation, I will keep and protect the absolute secrecy to which I now agree, promising never to reveal any of the ceremonies, signs or passes of the Order of the Eastern Star. I will not be present nor assist in giving these degrees to any man not vouched for as being a Master Mason, the common bond among members being a fundamental faith in the Fatherhood of God, and the Brotherhood of Man. I will help any brother or sister of these degrees who is in need, if they apply to me as such and are found worthy, as far as their needs may require and my ability permit. That means any crime. Furthermore, will give timely notice of their default that they may ward off approaching danger. You are obligated by that blood oath to cover. If he's a rapist, if he's a child molester, if he's a thief, if he's an arsonist. In the presence of Almighty God, and before these witnesses, I do make this solemn pledge. 
you are now received into our order and will be conducted to the several points of the star where you will receive instruction in those sublime virtues exemplified in the lives of Ada, Ruth, Esther, Martha, and Electa, the heroines of our order. The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 When Rob Morris was organizing the basic layout of the Eastern Star, he decided that there would be five degrees or points and that there would be five female figures representing the order. Originally he chose five goddesses from ancient paganism, then had second thoughts about bringing pagan ideas to the forefront, possibly thinking that the majority of women would probably be turned off if the pagan ideas were the focus since most of the U.S. at the time professed Christianity. So he gave his goddesses biblical concepts and names, but keeping the symbols of the women the same as the pagan goddesses. Jephthah's daughter, whom Morris named Ada, Eastern Star claims that she illustrates respect to the binding force of a vow. Jephthah made a vow to the Lord in Judges 11, that the first thing to greet him from his house when he returned from battle with a victory from God would be offered to the Lord. The first to greet him when he returned home from that battle was his daughter. So he kept his vow to the Lord, in spite of how much it would cost him. Ada was originally the goddess Luna, the goddess of the moon. Luna, the goddess of witchcraft, sorcery, and the night, the lower world. Luna was also known as Diana. The followers of Diana were the ones who started a riot against Paul and his companions in Acts 19 for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ruth allegedly illustrates devotions to religious principles. Originally she was Flora, the goddess of springtime and flowers, who was also called Chloris. Every year in honor of Flora, the Romans held the festival of Floralia. Floralia was much like Mardi Gras, where the people participated in drunken orgies. Esther is said to illustrate fidelity to kindred and friends. Esther was Hebe, the goddess of youth, who was cupbearer to the gods and goddess of domestic matters. The Romans called her Juventus. Martha supposedly represents undeviating faith in the hour of trial. Her corresponding goddess was Thesis, goddess of creation and the sea. According to mythology, the mother of Achilles, who dipped him in the river Styx to make him invincible. Legend has it that Thesis had the power to prophesy and was a shapeshifter. And finally, Electa. And this name is not in the Bible. But Morris gave this name to the woman hosting the church in her house in 2 John. The goddess who she replaced in the original plan of the Eastern Star was Arami, a secret goddess of the Egyptians whose name is not widely known. In the higher degrees, an initiate is asked at one point if they know the Kabbalistic word, and the worthy matron and the initiate spell out the word fatal, fairest among thousands, altogether lovely. The Kabbalah's Jewish-based occultism. Eastern Star has a motto based on this mystic cult which appears as an acronym on their seal, FATAL.
The acronym is a warning to its members about divulging their secrets. And then the initiate is reminded that it would be fatal to their character if they were to reveal any of the secrets of the Order. So the Eastern Star has turned a phrase once used to represent Christ into a phrase to represent their initiates and have essentially pushed the Lord Jesus aside to save themselves by their own words so they can become a god. Isn't that the same lie that the devil told Eve in the garden that she could become a god? Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Romans chapter 1 verse 21 through 25. So with all that said, does this sound like something a Christian should be involved in? And how is it that if you have already been born again and adopted into the body of Jesus, how is it that you would need to go to a Masonic temple to be born again? Why the need for the oaths to maintain secrecy? Here's the secret. It's nothing more than Baal worship, paganism, the worship of the devil. And you'll notice down here at the bottom are the conventional degrees of the York and Scottish Rite, all the way up to the Supreme Council of Grand Sovereign Inspectors General. Then above it we have the various satanic orders, some of which, in fact I'm sad to say most of which, I was a member of, all the way up to the nine unknown men, the seven, and then the great architect of the universe himself, Lucifer, the limitless light of nothingness. That's his title. That is what that all-seeing eye refers to. That is a symbol, ultimately, of Lucifer. The Masons have drawn from every type of witchcraft and paganism trying to gain power. The power to control the rest of mankind. To bring about a new world order. It started getting pretty obvious during the time of what is called historically the Enlightenment. Now that was a period just after the Protestant Reformation in the early 1700s where this new philosophy came about called the Enlightenment. And it was the idea that we didn't need faith anymore. We didn't need religion anymore. We had a new God rising. And that God's name? Science. We no longer needed to have faith in this invisible God that could not be put in a test tube, so to speak, and measured. And so the Enlightenment came along and that was followed very quickly on by the Illuminati coming on the scene. You'll notice there that this is a trapezoid, this shape, and it's unfinished. You'll notice also that there are 13 ranks here. And then look at the all-seeing eye up there at the top. That all-seeing eye is not God, brothers and sisters. Uh, Masons would like you to believe that it is. This is their God, but it ain't my God. I'm sorry. Uh, if you study that, that symbol, that eye is actually called an Uchut eye or a widget eye. And it's a symbol of the all-seeing eye of Osiris or Horus. Now down at the bottom here, you'll notice this interesting Roman numeral. If you add that up in the Roman numeral system, it comes up to 1776, which seems appropriate. You'll notice that above it says, Anuit Chaptus, and then down below it says, Novus Ordo Seclorum. That means this year begins the New World Order. Now, you might think, oh, that's okay, you know, that's America, right? We're the New World Order. No. 
America did not begin in 1776. Think about it. There were no, we hadn't even won the war yet. There were no Articles of Confederation. There was no Constitution. There were no states. This does not refer to America, my friends. On May 1st, 1776, the Illuminati was formed. That is the New World Order. Halfway around the world, we are engaged in a great struggle in the skies and on the seas and sands. What is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea, a new world order. Uh, and we are in the midst of one of the historic global transformations uh, that is going to uh, eventually lead to a, a new world order. Nothing less than a new world order. This is the pledge of the world's most powerful leaders. Welcome everyone. Thank you for joining us for our session, Creating a Credible and Trusted Digital Currency. It's no longer a conversation about whether this is going to happen, whether we'll see an issuance of this kind of opportunity. It's more a matter of when and how. He doesn't need money. In fact, much of what he needs to get through the day is hidden right there, just below the surface, in his hand. Right, how do we unlock the bio-economy? Like Dutch? Yeah. yeah. Oh, weird, yeah. It's yeah. like a grain of rice. Yeah, a grain of rice. Embedded in his hand is a microchip that serves as his keys, his ID, and his wallet. I want to talk to you today about the future of our species and really the future of life. We are probably one of the last generations of Homo sapiens. Within a century or two, Earth will be dominated by entities that are more different from us than we are different from chimpanzees. Because in the coming generations, we will learn how to engineer bodies and brains and minds. These will be the main products of the economy, of the 21st century economy. Yeah, it's all in chips. I use it like to get around the building. Buy snacks. Yeah, exactly. Let's buy some snacks. Exactly. So I can't open it. No. Okay. So what I need to do is I need to first blip my chip and it will log me in. And from there, I get access to the fridge. Now, how exactly will the future masters of the planet look like? This will be decided by the people who own the data. Which have made cash pretty much obsolete in Sweden. No cash. At this tech fair, a chipping event for those on the cutting edge, merging their hands with this new technology. There is a lot of talk these days about hacking computers, and email accounts, and bank accounts, and mobile phones, but actually, we are gaining the ability to hack human beings. Human microchipping may be our future, but in Sweden, it's already reality. Now, what do you need in order to hack a human being? You need two things. You need a lot of computing power, and you need a lot of data, especially biometric data. Not data about what I buy or where I go, but data about what is happening inside my body and inside my brain. So does the data about my DNA, my brain, my body, my life, does it belong to me or to some corporation or to the government or perhaps to the human collective? I'm not comfortable with my body, so I want to get rid of it, this thing all the arms and legs and every single bit of it. I don't want to be flesh. 
I'm really sorry, but I'm going to escape this thing and become digital. What do you mean? They say one day soon they'll have clinics in Switzerland where you can go and you'll sign a form and they'll take your brain and download it into the cloud. And your body? Recycled into the earth. Your Excellencies, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to participate for the eighth time at this important meeting even if only in a virtual way. I would like to express my high respect to His Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum for having taken the initiative for creating such an important global platform for governments shaping the future. So you want to kill yourself? I want to live forever as information, because that's what transhumans are, Mum. Not male or female, better. Where I'm going, there's no life or death, there's only data. I will be data. Halfway around the world, we are engaged in a great struggle in the skies and on the seas and sands. What is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea. A new world order. Uh, and we are in the midst of one of the historic global transformations uh, that is going to uh, eventually lead to a, a new world order. Nothing less than a new world order. The occult is not going to be messing with. I'm going to tell you straight up. So when you're approaching a mason, when you're approaching the issue of Freemasonry, you're going to be dealing with the problem of ignorance. After all this time, I still didn't know that I was in witchcraft. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me workers of lawlessness. So obviously I have a lot to learn. I watched that meter. That meter started going up, going up, going up. And he started like shaking, but he goes, don't stop, keep going. I told him, your spirit now is fine. But you and me, with the Holy Spirit, we're taking authority that's been given to us to use against the kingdom of darkness, to bring him glory. So we did. We just said in the name of Jesus. We used Galatians 3.13 and he repented and everything. We break every curse from Freemasonry over his mind. All of a sudden, I feel sweat beads. I'll never forget. I had my hands like this. Sweat beads are going over my fingers. His head was so hot. It was amazing how much sweat's come off this man's head. And there's no more sweat over my, over my hands going off. But he kept saying it and, it and we just walked him right through everything. All the anxiety, all the fear came against perversion. Perversion's big. A lot of people that are in Freemasonry or their family's been, they've had incest in the family. No, we can figure it out. It's, they have, there's a prayer that they do that causes division and schism in marriages. You wonder why they're divorced, they're divorced. I don't want to get divorced. So you got to break that curse. I say it all for a reason. The man ended up getting healed. It was an awesome testimony. But you know how long, how long would he have sat there not knowing truth? of something he participated in that he needed to repent of, break free from, and then get freed from that which he contaminated himself with. 24% of Baptist preachers are Freemasons. And I'm not picking on them. I'm just saying, why don't we, somebody afraid to speak truth? There's a guy, there's 10 miles from here, he's got a, he's a big church, and he's got the Holy Bible and the Freemasons Bible on his desk. And you know why? Let me tell you why. You want to know why? I'll tell you. You want to tell you? I'll tell you. I'll tell you why. <laughs> How could the enemy get good men who love their families 
and love God, supposedly, love God, I really do believe they love God, how could you get them hoodwinked? Very simple. The enemy's very smart. Gets them by their will to join Freemasons, and I got guys in here that contest. They'll say, hey, you want to be a part of this? Because we all got something for you. If you need something, ask us. We'll get it for you. Or maybe you can help us. It's a reciprocal deal. So God revealed himself to me. God spoke to me. He, He kind of allowed me to go through everything. That he, to, so that I can see what it is all about and, and then this God spoke me through this verse that now it's time you can either have the cup of demons, the cup of the devil or the cup of God. I was at a point, I was a master mason because now you're really going into, after this, you're really going into it. And that day I decided that I have to repent and like turn away from all of this that I'm a part of because I know the truth now. So I went to my friends, my brothers in Freemasonry and told them that I cannot be a part of all this now. Like this is not the truth. So so the, the, the close ones I tried to share the gospel. I, I shared the gospel with them. I told them what is the reason and Jesus is the way. What they do is they take men to make them better. That's what they say. But only God could do that. Right. You know, no club could do that for you. See, what got me out was God's love and grace and mercy. If there's anybody out there considering to becoming a, a Freemason, don't do it. That's right. Don't do it. If you need to talk to somebody that's been there, you could contact me at 330-707-5159, or you could shoot me an email, which is lowercase vr13377 at gmail.com. Uh, at any time, I'm available all day long. So I just wanted to say God bless you, so be safe, do the right thing. And this total stranger came and sat opposite me and he said, I, I believe God wants me to sit with you today because he wants me to share my testimony about Freemasonry. He just shared his testimony, how God brought him out of Freemasonry and all the ins and outs. And then in the afternoon, this total stranger came up to me and said, uh, you're Paul, aren't you? I went, yes. He said, oh, I'm sat down over there. He said, um, when you got a minute, come and have a word. So I went over after a few minutes and he said, sit down. He said, I'm a, an evangelist. I'm a, a teacher. I go to Bible college. Uh, I teach in Bible college. I go all over the world teaching. He said, I really don't want to be here. He said, but God wanted me to be here. I knew I had to go. And I said, Lord, why do you want me to go? He said, you're going to meet a man called Paul and I want you to give him these scriptures. So this man was prepared by God to come and give me the scriptures before I asked. That if there is anything in darkness, it's not a God. Anything in secrecy is not a God. There is only one master, and let your yeses be yes, and your noes be no, and don't take any obligations or promises. And he said, they are for you, Paul, and they are the scriptures that I needed to confirm the Lord wanted me out of Freemasonry. And the Lord had told me to stand facing the master of the lodge and say, I love you, all of you. I come with love. But because of the curse that has been put not only on myself, but my family, I denounce Freemasonry as a satanic and demonic society, and I resign. Suddenly, there was a quietness that hit that place Nobody said a word, for, and it seemed like minutes, but I'm sure it was only probably seconds, but it seemed like a long time. Suddenly, the person who had taken over my role as, uh, because I should have been in that chair, I should have been the master of that lodge, 
and I was facing him and he was a 33rd degree Freemason and he started banging that gavel which is a hammer, wooden hammer, he started get him out, get him out and his face distorted and he looked evil as he was here. He was so angry and these two people who had brought me up and ushered me that standing, they ushered me out the door. And we got to the front door and one of them pointed his finger at me and he said, you will never work again in this area. And I said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he ran off. And we need to know the word. And you know, the word was in me to speak. And people would say, you know, you must have lost so much work. You know, my business grew. You know, the Lord will honor you. If you stand up for the Lord, the Lord will honor you. And you know that I put him first. It says, first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything will be added unto you. And so many people put their ideas and their jobs and their wives and their families and their health and everything else first, and then think of God. Well, try and plug in the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, and he will change it. But first seek him. Now, if you're a Mason, how do you get out? Well, with apologies to AA, here are my suggestions as we close. Step one, realize that masonry is sin in making your spiritual life unmanageable. Two, turn the issue of masonry in your life over to God. Three, ask the Lord Jesus Christ to give you the power to break away from the bondage of the craft. Step four, get on your knees and ask Jesus to forgive you for your involvement in the lodge. Step five, in prayer, renounce the lodge and the oaths you made in Jesus' name. Step six, ask Jesus to cut any ungodly ties like the cable tow that may exist. Step seven, in Jesus' name, renounce the false headship of the Grand Lodge. Eight, in Jesus' name, renounce the strong men of masonry and command them to leave you and your family never to return. You may ask, what are the strong men? Well, I'm being a nice guy. I'm telling you what they are. Those are the demon forces that are behind the Lodge. Tubal Cain, Baphomet, Jabulon, Hiram Abiff, and Dagon. Nine, send a letter of Demit asking to get out of the Lodge. Step 10, destroy all Masonic trinkets, books, aprons, preferably by fire. Step 11, seek through prayer, Bible study, and meditation to strengthen your conscious contact with God and invigorate your sensitivity to the promptings of His Spirit. And step 12, having had this spiritual awakening, tell as many Masons as possible about the Lodge and lead those who are lost to Jesus Christ. And if you're a Mason and you're here tonight, you need to do those things. You need to renounce it, you need to repent of it, and you need to ask Jesus Christ to break the power of the curses that you've laid on your family, which are very real over them. In Jesus' name, amen. no hidden knowledge. There are no secrets. Lucifer is not God. God is God, and Lucifer is the devil. 
just as the Word of God tells us. It isn't some twisted inversion that the Freemasons would have you believe. The Gospel of Christ is available to any body, regardless of their health, their social status, their gender, their hair color, their skin color, even their political belief. No password or secret handshake required. Written and directed by Richard Kaysen. Edited by Richard Kaysen at Undercutter Productions. The Dark Light, copyright 2022, Undercutter Productions. Filmed on location at Van Buren City Cemetery, Van Buren, Missouri. With One Accord Ministries, 3500 Dodge Street Suite 205, number 411 Dubuque, Iowa 52003. Righteous Acts Ministries, P.O. Box 1555, Stephen City, Virginia 22655. Special thanks to William Schneblin, Pastor Michael Rosell, Paul Knight, Brother Uncor, British Broadcasting Corporation, Path A, Brandon House, Lindell TV, Frankspeech.com, Dr. Ron Carlson, Mr. Wawa, Seabed and Dr. Steve Tsoukalos, EvangelicalTruth.com, FreemasonryWatch.org, ComingInTheClouds.org, StickingArgus.nl, MasonBusters.org, Crosswalk.com, Wondrium, Becoming Initiated Codes and Conspiracies, Free Creative Footage, Indie Mobile, Keeping It Creepy, Genesis Project, Inspirational Films, Eden TV, Stephanie Light, GB or Music, Sound Phenomena, Colossal Trailer Music, Secession Studios, and Beautiful Music. Thank you.